This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, a show that helps you find and follow your bliss. This week on Finding Your Bliss, we will look at the joys, benefits, and bliss of yoga and meditation. We will understand how even at its most basic level, yoga helps us find inner harmony, balance, and an overall sense of well-being. Today, you will hear from five masterful yoga educators, beginning with two wonderful yoga teachers who are sitting right here, who not only teach yoga, yoga classes, but are also renowned for their excellent yoga teacher training programs, where they are training a whole new generation of inspirational instructors and yoga practitioners. Coming up on today's show, you will meet yoga teacher Jody Fishtime, who has shared her practice for over a decade. She has practiced many kinds of yoga, including yin, prana flow, ashtanga vinyasa, I love saying all the words, and the work of John Kabat-Zinn's mindfulness-based stress reduction. As well, we will meet leading Ashtanga yoga instructor and teacher, Mark Mora. Also on today's show, we have renowned yoga teacher, yoga therapist, and chakra expert, Carolina Carvalho, and lawyer and meditation, mindfulness meditation teacher, who also teaches the meditation component at the 889 Yoga Teacher Training Program in Toronto, and his name is Josh Cohn. We will also hear beautiful music from yoga instructor, singer, songwriter, and chanting and mantra artist, Lana Sugarman. Quick shout out also to all of the YTT grads who graduated last night, sending them lots of love and applause and big hugs. If you have a question for any of our renowned yoga teachers, please give us a call at 416-360-0740 or 1-888-346-0740. And uh, we are about to start today's show, looking very forward to all of this. And uh, I want to actually start with a very, very beautiful thing, and that is the mantra music of Lana Sugarman. So I thought if, you, if you're just tuning in, by the way, this is Finding Your Bliss. It's Yoga 101 today, and that's Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're going to start by playing a gorgeous track from Lana Sugarman's album of mantra music called Reverence. And Lana Sugarman is a singer-songwriter, yoga teacher, and kirtan artist, which means that comes from the Sanskrit practice of call and response chanting. And Lana Sugarman has been teaching yoga and leading chant for over a decade, and she has two albums of mantra music, and this one is entitled titled Reverence. This track is called Twam Eva. Let's have a listen and set an intention for this beautiful show. Lana, if you're listening, wow, that was absolutely gorgeous. 
And I think we might actually have Lana on the line, not yet, but I'm just going to tell her and I know she'll hear this. Your mantra albums, Lana, are so exquisite. I'd love you to come on the show live in the new year and tell us more about them. But in the meantime, you always say repeating mantras can be a helpful way to connect with our breath, with each other, and to focus our minds on positive intentions, which is so wonderful. So again, this is Lana Sugarman's album, Reverence. We're going to hear more from her later on in the show. If you stick around, you'll hear another beautiful track from this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful album. But now I'm so excited for you to meet yoga instructors and teachers, Mark Mora and Jody Fishstein for our Yoga and Meditation 101 episode on Finding Your Bliss. So welcome to both of you. <laughs> Jody Fishstein is a yoga teacher in Toronto and Mama Four. She has practiced the methods of Ashtanga and Vinyasa and Yin Yoga. And she will tell us all about that. And she has also studied yoga and Ayurvedic philosophy in India. Wow. Her practice includes a wide range of disciplines, including Thai yoga massage. She recently completed the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Studies Program at the University of Toronto. And with a solid foundation in her own practice, Jody is not only a yoga teacher, but she is a dedicated and supporting faculty member at 889 Yoga in Toronto with the Yoga Teacher Training Program. She encourages her students to soften the edges in their practice, to open the doors to a truly embodied practice. Jody and Mark. Mark, both of you, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Jody. it's wonderful to have you here. Can you explain for our listeners what you mean when you say a fully embodied practice of yoga? And for those listeners who don't practice yoga yet, I hope they do after this show, what does the word yoga really mean? Well, I'd like to say first, thank you for having us on this show. And I'm so happy to talk about yoga. I think that my answer is going to change from day to day. But today, I think yoga is really about um, kindness. I'm still saying this year after year. It's about coming together as a community, um, coming together as friends, um, to study, to learn, to debate philosophy, uh, yoga philosophy, and of course, to practice. And I think uh, movement and meditation intertwined can be really um, beneficial for the practitioner. That's so wonderful. There's so many different types of yoga, Jody. I thought we would just, because it's Yoga 101, give um, our listeners a number of the different kinds of yoga. And I would love you, if you if you don't mind, in one sentence or less, or even in a few words, to very briefly describe each form. So I'm just going to say it, form of yoga. It's like, you know, you can do this with a celebrity. We've done this before with J-Lo and Brad Pitt. Now we're going to do it with the different forms of yoga. So Mysore. That is self-practice. Kundalini. That's energy rising, um, spiritual practice. Nice. Bikram or Modo. This is hot, vigorous yoga. <laughs> Very hot. I used to do that. Vinyasa. Vinyasa, I describe as choreography. So linking poses together. Lovely. That makes sense for our bodies. Restorative. <sighs> um, very restful time, peaceful. And yin yoga. Yin yoga is taking shapes and holding them for a few minutes. So I would call it a marinating yoga. Nice. Chair yoga. Chair yoga is fantastic. It's accessible for all of us. We can all do that while we're on a flight or waiting, seated somewhere. I think it's wonderful. Amazing. Laughter yoga. Laughter yoga, I've only tried once. And what I really felt was incredible core abdominal work. (laughs) And emotionally, very happy, very happy state. 
Is it essentially just everyone laughs and that's part of the release? Well, it felt for- forced for the first few seconds, but then it felt <laughs> genuine. But either way, what I really remember is feeling that I had a great workout. That's so fun. Yeah. And Sivananda. Sivananda I associate with bliss and, and Hatha Yoga systems. Nice. Things that are peaceful. That fits in with, with our show. Yes. Finding your bliss. That's amazing. And Ashtanga or Power Yoga. Ashtanga. Um, it inspires me greatly. I'm, um, I struggle with that practice, but I think it's very inspiring and it definitely um, provided a blueprint for me for everything that I do today on the physical realm of yoga. So I'm really grateful for that, but I think Mark could speak better to the Ashtanga practice. And we're, we're going to get to that so soon. I can't wait. Um, what I love about you, Jody, also is you always do modifications in your classes. So for people who can't do a headstand at home, for instance, or I can say <laughs> right here, I can't do a headstand. You have all these wonderful modifications and suggestions. Can you explain? Yes, of course. I think that we go back to yoga being very accessible and everyone has a different desire and a different inspiration of how to move their body. So I think that the best thing we can do is support everybody where they're at and that includes chair yoga, that includes props, that includes lots of comfort and, of course, stability and safety, which is why we use the wall a lot for yoga. Right. So it's, it becomes accessible for everyone. That's lovely. Can you tell us about your empowering experience of going to India alone to study yoga? Wow. Well, I think that the first time I went to India, I was supposed to go with a very close friend and she couldn't join me at the very last minute. And I decided to go alone and I never traveled that far anywhere really alone. And I was scared. But when I got there, I realized that the yoga community, we all know each other. So somehow, some way I knew people in the airport in Dubai. Mm-hmm. And then I started to feel better and I realized we're all connected. And then when wow. I got to India, I recognized some other students from Los Angeles. Oh, so, so cool. That felt good. And I also felt very empowered that I still went forward traveling on my own because it allows you to reflect a little more. Yes. And I did spend, even though I knew people there, I ended up spending a good majority of my practice and studies alone. And it was very reflective. Um, A lot of inner reflections on that first trip. How did it change your experience being in India? It made me appreciative of everything we have, even just opening my mouth in the shower and drinking the water here. (laughs) Like, so little things like that infrastructure, I was really appreciative of, you know, what we have. And I was also really appreciative of a new culture, which to me was very, there's a lot of mysticism there. And, and it was very inspiring as a writer. I found enormous beauty, even the food, everything was so, um, unique and, um, eye-opening awakening. It was like a singer. (laughs) Uh, the first time it was just fantastic incredible you recommend it i do i do recommend stepping out of your comfort zone as an american and a canadian i think i I was in a certain comfort zone and in india they push your buttons and when the buttons break you're free and so so great yeah i think we have lana on the line is that correct Mm -hmm. i think we do hi lana hi lana how are you I'm well, Judy. How are you? Great. Thank you. Lana Sugarman, your beautiful album, Reverence, which created an intention and set the intention for this show. Can you tell us a little bit about that gorgeous mantra album? And you have two of those mantra albums. I do, yes. Uh, the track that you played was from uh, Reverence, my latest album. And then I have a second one named Invocation that came out, please, about six years ago now. It's so beautiful. What What motivated you to do these albums? 
Um, a lot of it was that I, I play so much live. I play a lot in yoga studios. Um, I travel to different communities and try to show these, these practices, these mantras. Um, and it came out of that of people sort of were asking, you know, how can we take this home with us and use this in our own practices at home, um, to relax in the car, those types of things. So I wanted to uh, share what I do on a, on a larger scale. Your voice is gorgeous, and I'm so excited because everyone's going to get to hear another track from this album at the end of the show. But just a question, where can people get um, these albums or contact you? Sure. Um, my music is available on Spotify and Apple Music, sort of most of the streaming sites. Um, there's also an artist-friendly site called Bandcamp that you can purchase oh. my albums on. Um, and then otherwise, my my website is lanayoga.ca, and there's my music and any live offerings that I have. I sort of share chant um, live as well if people Gorgeous. are interested in that. Thank you so much for joining us and listen till the end of the show because we're going to play that track, uh, the other track from your album that's so beautiful. They're all beautiful. I just love them. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Judy. Take care. Talk to you soon. Okay. Jody Karma Yoga, I know this is very close to your heart. What is it and can you explain why you love to do it? Well, um, I was thinking about that a lot today and I was discussing it with all of you. And I think that with karma, the things that we do, I can associate it to my children. Like, you know, we do things for our children with with never an expectation or a reward. Right. And I think karma yoga is, is a similar aspiration. It's like, so we can do the volunteering. We can do the fundraising. Yes. We can support our community. Um, that's just a small part of it. I think it's, it's, it's a way of living. It's, um, it's a way of being and not having any expectation or a sense of ego around all the good work you do. You just do it. Right. So I think it's, I think there's a common word they call virtue sig signaling. And I think that's the word that we try to avoid, right? So we're trying to do these things for the betterment of commu the community, but not to kind of serve our ego. So yes. I find it interesting. It's more about letting go. Right. In the service. Lovely. Which is interesting. I love that. that. That fits. That's so beautiful. I just found out that Ali McGraw, the actress, just turned 80. Wow. And she looks fantastic and very young. And she's practiced yoga all her life. Does yoga keep you young? I hope so. I mean, I'm almost 50, so I hope so. I feel fantastic. Practicing. You look fantastic. <laughs> I, I hope so. I mean, the breathing alone is good for the skin and breathing or pranayama methods or breathing methods is really good for posture because we fantastic. sit tall when we inhale. Exactly. I'm going to come back to you about your bliss, but I want to introduce Mark because he's been sitting patiently here. And it's so wonderful to have you. Mark Morris has been practicing yoga for over 18 years, studying a variety of styles and philosophies. He has taught yoga across the greater Toronto area for the last 13 years, continuing to conduct specialized workshops and retreats. And despite Ashtanga Vinyasa being a rigorous sequence, Mark approaches his students with a calm and encouraging energy. I've heard that from a few people, by the way, while simultaneously teaching the student to be mindful of limitations, avoiding ego and in, and injury. So first of all, welcome. Thank Great you. to have you here. And you practice Ashtanga yoga, which Jody talked about. Can you describe Ashtanga yoga for us and what it does for you? Uh, Ashtanga can be, now it depends who you're talking to and what does that mean? Uh, there, there is a dogmatic and a non-dogmatic approach and I've done both. I currently do a non-dogmatic approach, which means it's not a strict sequence. Uh, but it is a vigorous flow. 
Uh, it does involve a lot of jumping back and forth, a lot of lifting. Um, but that's how I practice because that's what my body allows. But when I'm teaching uh, a student, I'm looking at them and seeing what their current range of motion is and encouraging them to accept that and be where you are right now. Don't get frustrated with, but I want to do <laughs> these other fancy things. I want to throw my legs behind my head and bounce <laughs> on two fingers. And I'm like, well... <laughs> It's overrated, first of all, uh, uh, but it's not necessary. What's necessary is that you're just uh, finding your tension point, breathing there and accepting what is. And then from a conscious perspective, do you go further or do you stay where you are? And ultimately, you have to be your own guru to assess that. So you're not relying on me so much. So really, what I'd like to do is encourage people to think for themselves, be conscious for themselves and make their own decisions that are, uh, it's their responsibility now, that are... They're more aware and informed. Mm -hmm. How important is the breath? Uh, the breath is the foundation, uh, in my opinion. If someone is, uh, they're in a, an intense pose, but their breath is, is out of sorts, that's telling me something. And I'll tell them, less effort, more breath. Mm, lovely. What does Kriya mean? K-R-I-Y-A. Uh, Kriya yoga uh, is, it's breath work. So uh, if you're doing a series of Kriyas, you're doing a series of breath sets. And it's meant to take in a, an intense dose of oxygen. You kind of get high from it. Um, uh, but even in an Ashtanga yoga class, I'll, I'll, I keep stressing, breathe, make sure you're breathing, accentuate the inhale, because often we'll push the exhale and take in a short inhale. Right. So I'm just trying to bring a sense of balance, uh, of evenness, because if you don't have breath flow, I'll tell them none of this works. Your muscles won't relax. You won't be calm in your mind. Uh, your overall spirit won't feel calm if your breath is too intense. Can we pretend this is a class for a minute and can you lead us in a breath? Sure. Uh, so uh, do we want to be standing or sitting? We <laughs> I love uh, that question, but sitting. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you're sitting, sit up nice and tall, hold your belly in, take a deep breath. And there you are. Hold your belly and keep breathing. Because after the first breath, you might anticipate something else to happen, but there's nothing. Keep breathing. Uh, let your sternum lift up and let your shoulder blades pull down the back slightly so you start to open up the upper lungs. You can take a deeper inhale this way. Keep breathing. Lengthen the crown of the head up to the ceiling, not your chin, the crown of your head. <laughs> so you start to lengthen the back of the neck and elongates your trachea a bit. Keep breathing. And you're not doing anything wrong. You're just breathing. And you accept what it is. That's it. And then, and then, of course, I can lead you through an asa sequence. It doesn't matter. You're going to come back, I hope, and we're going to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we, we, need, we, have, we have to get our mats. Many people, Mark, when they think of yoga, think only of the poses and the postures called asanas in Sanskrit. But this is really only one very small part of yoga. There are actually eight limbs of yoga, and poses are only one-eighth of the many limbs. What are the eight limbs of yoga? Uh, yeah, so there's the uh, the yamas and niyamas. Those are the five uh, five restraints and five observances. So the restraints would be things like uh, don't steal, uh, uh, the commitment to nonviolence, uh, the commitment to be sexually responsible. Uh, the niyamas are the five observances. So um, things like uh, uh, be austere or, uh, in your actions or uh, make sure you're observing yourself and your actions. Um Asana is limb number three. Number four is pranayama, that's breath work. Uh, pratyahara, that's sense. Um, pratyahara, withdrawal of the senses. Thank you. Yep. Sensory withdrawal. Mm -hmm. uh, dharana, which is concentration. Dhyana, meditation. And samadhi, um, absorption. I want to just ask you both how people can get in touch with you, starting with Jody. How do people reach you? Um, my website, uh, flyinglotusyoga.ca. 
or they can reach me on, um, I guess, my email. <laughs> Go ahead. Go okay. for it. <laughs> Jody229 at gmail.com. Perfect. And the Jody is J-O-D-I. And Mark, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, I would say go to uh, uh, one of my websites is um, movingwithstillness.com. That's part of the teacher training program that uh, uh, that I'm the director of. Uh, just www.movingwithstillness.com. The other one is onemovementonebreath.com. And you can uh, you can access me there uh, with email or phone. Everything's That's up fantastic. There. Yeah. And Mark Mara, Mara is M-O-R-R-A. And Jody Fishstein is F-I-S-C-H. T-E-I-N, correct? Wow, yes. <laughs> Is that good? Is that good? That's, <laughs> like, that's so fantastic. It's the first time for me to experience that. <laughs> we have to get back to the benefits. I'm going to have to have you on, guys on again, but will you stick around for the rest of the show while the other We'd people come? To. That'd Absolutely. be wonderful. Thank you. We're going to go to a short commercial break. When we come back, we will meet Carolina Carvalho, who will tell us all about chakras, which are energy centers in the body, and how to harness the power of them to promote overall balance, healing, and well-being. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. And this is Finding Your Bliss. This is like an introduction to yoga, Yoga 101. And I'm joined now by Carolina Carvalho. Carolina started practicing yoga in the year 2000 while she was still living in Brazil. The inner peace found on her yoga mat sparked her ever-growing curiosity to learn more. She took her first Hatha Yoga teacher training program in 2006. And then in 2008, after a trip to India, she experienced yoga therapy in a clinical setting and since then has been working one-on-one with individuals from all walks of life, dealing with specific needs and conditions to help them achieve optimal health and well-being. With well over a thousand hours of formal training by renowned mentors, Carolina creates a safe environment practice environment focused on the subtle exploration of body and mind. And I know because I've had a private with you and I know that it was so fantastic. Welcome, Carolina. Thank you, Judy. You went to your first yoga class in Brazil with your mom and you described it as love at first sight. What happened? I just felt so at ease and I was going through a lot. It was a uh, university time and I wasn't very sure what I wanted to do with my life at that point, uh, studying business. And when I came to the yoga mat, it, everything just uh, kind of settled and there was some clarity that I found and just the ability to be myself, to feel whatever that was to be felt at that time was really important to me. That's so incredible. Yeah. Then you came to Canada and you took a teacher training class, never really intending for it to become a career. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to teach full-time? I felt very fulfilled by watching um, the instantaneous 
um, transformation that happened with people, with the students by, by practicing, by discovering their breath and being in their bodies. You, you see it right away. The changes happen right away. And that for me was very special. And to be able to facilitate that and to, um, teach people what I knew and what I had experienced was very gratifying. You started to teach people in corporations how to do yoga, and some of them were very skeptical, which I think is a common reaction when they first hear the word yoga. What happened? I bet they stopped being skeptical. I think so. The ones that stick to it, it's, you know, there's also people that came to the one class and it, they weren't ready for it. I think there's a lot of um, readiness that is important in yoga. Uh, I don't impose it on anybody, you know, family, friends. I just wait for them to have the curiosity to come to me and ask about it because I, I think you need to be ready for it. Just That's like so anything great. in life. Yeah. That's so great. You worked at a yoga hospital in India in 2008, working with people dealing with serious illnesses. What was that like and what happened exactly there? That really expanded my understanding of yoga from what we do in studios, which is mostly a physical practice or a breathing practice, pranayama. When I went to India, I realized how uh, yoga is really a lifestyle. In this hospital, um, the main teacher prescribed a program for you specifically for every individual based on whatever conditions you had. So from the foods that you eat to the activities that you, hmm. you participate in wow. to the music you, you, you listen to, everything matters. And that's what I understood when I went to India. It's incredible. You came back to Toronto after spending a month in India. Like you're all making me want to go to India. It sounds so great. You enrolled in the teacher training program at the Yoga Therapy Center in Toronto. You started off as a student. And then after you did, did that, they started their first 500 hour teacher training program. And you also participated in that first ever yoga therapy teacher training program. Can you describe that experience for us? Extremely enriching because I was given tools to be able to help more people from uh, the pranayama practices to the chanting practices to essential oils uh, uses for, you know, we're I think we're going to talk about chakras, but that's yes. for me also a very important tool uh, in order to help people therapeutically and um, individually. That's so cool. Yeah. How did you get interested in the chakras? And can you explain what the chakras are, the seven chakras, what they're each called, what they signify? And I think why not say it in English and in Sans Sanskrit sure. so that we get the full understanding. Sure. So the chakra system is basically a model for um, self knowledge and self-understanding, self-exploration. And uh, it's beautiful because it's there's a lot of clarity. You, you're able to investigate your belief systems, why, why you do the things the way you do, uh, if they're serving you or not, uh, patterns. And so, so I'm going to talk to you, uh, tell you about the chakras a little bit, just very briefly, because there's so much about the chakras. Of course. It's a whole so, course. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, seven main chakras. The first chakra, the chakras are an energy centers. The word chakra means wheel and they're, they can be visualized as spinning vortexes in the subtle body. So the first chakra is at the base of the spine, Muladhara chakra, root chakra. It's our ability to feel safe, to feel grounded, to feel and know that our essential needs are met. 
Second chakra, Svadhisthana chakra, is our sacral chakra, and that relates to sexuality, sexuality, sensuality, uh, creativity, personal relationships as well, intimacy, ability to um, feel emotional identity. The third chakra, Manipura chakra, is at the solar plexus level, and that relates to our power, our personal power, our self-confidence, ability to manifest our dreams, to take action. I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so important. Uh, fourth chakra at the heart center, cardiac plexus. That's all about love. I love that one too. Sanahata <laughs> chakra. Um, then we go to the throat center, throat chakra, Vishuddha chakra, purification center. So how we filter what's inside, how do we communicate to the external world? Uh, is it, hel is it uh, helpful? Is it needed? Um, so, We don't just say anything, right? Mm -hmm. We need to say in a way that is non-harmful, that is helpful, that is not hurting anyone, mm -hmm. ahimsa. Mm -hmm. Then we go to Agna Chakra, third eye. That's our ability to see clearly, mm -hmm. to hold a vision for what we want in life. Mm -hmm. uh, to dream. To dream, absolutely. Yeah. That's Agnya Chakra, yeah. And then uh, Sahasrara Chakra, <laughs> uh, and that's the crown chakra. That is our ability to feel connected to the whole of life, to to feel and know how everything is interconnected. Beautiful. And, uh, related to you said that so well. Thank I love you. that. It's so interesting, so cool. I have to go back to one question that there was a little bit of a sound issue, and we have to ask you this question, Jody, again, which is what is yoga? Like really close to the mic, what is yoga and what do you love about it? Just briefly, but so that people can really hear it. Well, yoga is being here right here with all of you and feeling emotionally charged and feeling the love. For me, this is really defining yoga right here, right now. Um, so grateful for our community beyond. Um, I love moving my body. I live in my body. I think yoga can be that too. Yeah. And it's really, for, again, I'm going back to the word kindness and just supporting each other. Yeah. You know, because we, we don't know who we are and what we're going through. And I really feel like being putting my best foot forward trying to be kind not always easy for me but i'm trying you're and so I, kind what do you mean i'm just saying you know <laughs> I, i try to be my best self yeah. and um i think yoga helps me do that that's so, so great I, for anyone for mark for carolina for jody what are the real benefits of yoga we hear about blood pressure lowering your blood pressure but what are really and i think for all of you just to answer from from every level emotionally mentally physically spiritually of course Awareness, self-awareness, and how we show up in the world. I think it's a big one. Yeah. You said community to me. Yeah. yeah. I find that it's there's a yoga family, and then there's your family, and then there's your friends, and then there's your coworkers. And the yoga family is outstanding. It's just such a su emotional support, at Lovely. least. It feels that way for me. Yeah, it's so great. And emotional connection. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Uh, for me, it's a, um, a suspended place where you can observe your existence. So we live in multiple realities. We live in a physical reality, an emotional reality, a psychological reality, and they're all interwoven. Uh, but none of those are you. I'm not a body. I have a body. I'm not a mind. I have a mind. Yoga is the consciousness or the practice of being conscious of observing I have a mind. I'm not what that is. I have a body, mm -hmm. but I'm going to take responsibility and appreciate and honor these gifts. So that's for me what 
yoga is and how that's a practice and it benefits because I'm taking responsibility for all the realities I'm connected with. Love that. Thank you for that. What is bliss for you, Jody? Bliss is um, a few things. Does it have to be one thing? It can, it can be as many as you'd like. Bliss <laughs> for me, um, as of 2019, is family and friends, good food and laughter. That is bliss. Love that. Carolina? Connection is bliss for me. My three-month-old son, Jake, is bliss for me. I'd have to say, I, I understand that so well. And Mark, what is bliss for you? Um, just being where I am, being mindful. Uh, so I'm present, like just when I'm washing my hands, just being mindful of that moment. But I have to concur with, with Jody and Catalina. My kids are my biggest joy. Uh, that's my bliss just when I have them close to my heart, especially when I get cuddle time with them. And, uh, even, the even though they're getting bigger, I know it's like, I, I hope they sit on my lap when they're 25, you know, it's just, uh, they do uh, practically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's so, so wonderful. And for people who may not understand what yoga is, because I think there's some misconceptions about yoga. People think it's slow. I can attest to a Jody class. It's not slow. You're on fire, but in a great way. Um, it's too slow. It's boring. It's too hard. It's too this. What can we say to people who've never done it? Or, or maybe somebody at home who might not be able to practice a vigorous kind of yoga. What would that look like for them? I think um, yoga can, the yoga practice itself can be vigorous, as you say, and it can be great tempo, great music. It can be fun. I think we have to understand our audience. And so yoga teachers, we're really good at that. We read body language. We can identify who's bored and we can try to make it more fun for them. I think um, infusing humor in it. I've seen that (laughs) in the teachers here for sure. And I think, um, you know, it can also be really accessible. I think everyone has different moments, different hormonal patterns, sleeping patterns. And I think that we all want a vigorous practice some days and other days we really need to rest. And I think it's, it's not just one stop shopping. I think we, we have to have, you know, the yin and the yang. You're great at modifications because I know I can't do a headstand and I was in your class. So there's one thing you can do chair yoga, but you actually had me just go up to the wall and do legs up the wall. And that was fantastic. So you can, anything else you can say for people at home just about practicing yoga, even if you're not actually on a mat? Well, I would say that there's many methods of yoga and there's many variations for everybody, every person, every personality. And and an inversion is an inversion. That means your heart is over your head. And I think you can achieve that in many ways. And I think a handstand is only one way. It's like a needle in a haystack. I don't I think it deserves all the credit it gets. It's just one method. It's just one. one. You mentioned something to me before the show about yoga is just being where you are. So somebody could be at home just coming back to the breath and they're doing yoga, right? Well, like if we look at the Yoga Sutras, it's the very first verse right off the bat. Yoga is the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind. And when you sit there and you put all of your attention on your breath, you find that your mind stops or it slows down. And then the more you can identify your mental patterns, you start to slow down or interrupt the reactivity, if that makes any sense at all. So you become more self-aware. Um, but I, you can do it in a chair. You can do it on a mat. It can be vigorous. It can be slow. It, it really depends on who you're dealing with and what, and what your body is. And uh, another part of a yoga practice is acceptance or surrender. Surrender to me just means accepting what is. My body is, uh, if it's stiff, if it's old, if it's injured, if it's youthful, it doesn't matter. I accept it as it is, and I'm grateful as it is. Love that. And then I just breathe and let 
just detach from the mental activity. Tell me again, Mark, how we can get in touch with you. Uh, www.movingwithstillness.com yes. or www.onemovementonebreath.com. Carolina Carvalho, how can we get in touch with you? CarolinaCarvalhoYoga.com And that's C-A-R-V-A-L-H-O.com. Wow. Okay. And Jody, how can people get in touch with you? I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it's either flyinglotusyoga.ca or flyinglotus.ca. <laughs> those, <laughs> those are great. Those, I think those are fantastic. Those. And you're all going to stick around, which I'm so happy about. We're going to go to a commercial right now, but when we come back, it's time to meditate. I think it's perfect timing. We've talked about yoga and now we're going to go to that eighth limb, right? And we're going to talk about meditating. We'll learn all about meditation with lawyer and meditation instructor, Josh Cohen, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we are about to talk about one of my favorite topics, meditation. And I'm joined now by Josh Cohn. Josh is a lawyer and a yoga and meditation instructor, but he gravitated early on towards the meditative side of the practice as he found it to be the most efficient way to calm his mind and center his attention in the present moment. He spent much of his life in the thinking mind as a lawyer, I'll bet. And as he developed his yoga and meditation practice, it became more important to be in the feeling and awareness state. Josh teaches meditation in the 889 teacher training program and drop-in classes Sunday evenings at Downward Dog. Easy to find uh, downwarddog.com, I believe. Or Yes. yes. Uh, I had the privilege, Josh, of having you as my meditation teacher. So different in the studio <laughs> than in class um, in my teacher training program at 889 Yoga. And it's wonderful to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you. Josh, how did you first understand and get into meditation? What, why were you drawn to this? Well, I didn't know that I was drawn to it until I realized how far away from it I was. And so, as you mentioned, I was a thinker and I was very self-conscious. And so, finding first yoga, which was the moving part of the practice, that was the beginning of starting to center my attention into my body. But it wasn't until I was suffering from a very bad headache after having uh, watched a friend complete a triathlon in the sun, and I had a social event that evening, that I was sitting and I was wondering, how am I going to be able to do this? When I was able to f somehow be able to distance myself from the pain that I was experiencing mm -hmm. in my head. And at that moment, I realized the ability to detach. And as soon as that happened, I was be on my way towards understanding how to meditate. Wow. Your introduction to mindfulness meditation, I believe, was 
in a library reading the books of John Kabat-Zinn. So for catastrophe living, wherever you go, there you are. Um, and many others in a beautiful meditation CD that I often listen to. But it was a wealthy businessman named S.N. Goenka who visited a meditation master in India, then set up courses in India, which would draw hundreds of people. And these 10-day silent meditation retreats really grew out of this, as you've described. Can you speak briefly about how these silent meditation retreats, which you have done 15 times, and you've been to India as well, once to India, where I did my first one. Well, you yes. did your first one, which was so impactful. How did this transform your life? And what what is a silent meditation retreat? Sure. Of course? Okay. So the uh, teacher was S. M. Goenka, and he operates uh, Vipassana centers all around the world. Vipassana is a Sanskrit a Pali word that means insight, and apparently it was the form of meditation that the historical Buddha taught back in the day. And so while I was traveling in India, I had the fortune of being there for six months. After I uh, got called to the bar, I decided I didn't want to practice law right away. I wanted to travel. So I went to India. And uh, while I was going through India, I was talking to many other travelers and seekers. And they recommended this uh, 10-day silent retreat. And so I attended it. And it was really phenomenal in the sense that I mean, it's so rare that we take time out just to be by ourselves, let alone to have 10 days of it. Um, But you're in silence and you're not able to even make eye contact with the other meditators. So although although you're there with others, you're very much alone and it provides the opportunity for you to observe what's happening in your mind, in your body, what themes keep recurring consistently. And ultimately what it is, is it's a strong reflection of what's happened in your past. So you start to go through your events that have shaped you mm-hmm. and they come to the surface and you have an opportunity to see them again from a little bit more of a distance and a little more of a calm place to understand how they shaped you. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, it helps to liberate you from however they may be have conditioned you to behave and react and see the world. How hard was it to be quiet? Like I'm, I'm thinking 10 days in silence. I think I find it hard to be quiet for 10 minutes. So I, <laughs> I really can't. <laughs> How did you do? I mean, that first couple of days must have been very difficult. What was that trajectory like? Yeah. It, you know, the first day is tough because you're used to communicating with other people, especially when you're eating together. So there'll be like five or six of you at a table having your meal, but not nobody saying a word. And that was very strange for me at first. But pretty quickly, even by the second day, you started to actually enjoy it. You started to realize, oh, there's no pressure right now for me. <laughs> no to, chatter. I don't have to be anybody. I don't have to project anything to anybody else. I could just enjoy myself. And so in the beginning, it was difficult, but by, well, fairly quickly, it started to become easier. However, by like day seven, day eight, you're so uh, hungering, hungering to yes. for communication. Yes, that you know songs would start to come, and you sometimes <laughs> people would would speak out loud just because they couldn't help it. Yes. And um, the nice thing was is at the end of the ten days, they lift the vow of silence, and you're able to talk to everybody. And it's like you are brothers and sisters wow. for having gone through such a deep experience. And you probably feel like you know them, even though you don't know anything about them. You're Very, just connected in such a deep, profound way. That, that doesn't need words, right? So true. So interesting. Do you, have you incorporated this into your actual life? Like when you came home, did you ever just say, well, on a Sunday, you know, from, from 12 to, to 8 p.m., I'm going to try some silence? Do you ever just incorporate it into your daily life? 
Yeah, well, what's nice about taking something like a dedicated retreat, especially for a 10-day period, is that it instills the practice in you. So it's hard to come out of it and just go right back into your life the way you, it was before. And you start to cherish the the time out that you spend in your day, whether it's 20 minutes or an hour at a time, to pause and just be with yourself, observe what's happening. And what's beautiful about the meditative process is that it's a self-regulatory process. So just by sitting in silence, whatever is out of balance starts to find its balance again. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of silence as the, the great moderator, as I like to think of it. Right. A lot of people resist it so intensely, even, even yoga, yoga people, yoginis, and uh, um, they resist meditation. They're afraid of it. They're overwhelmed by it. Some people say they can't sit still. What do you say to those people? Because what someone once said to me, I said, I'm too busy to meditate. And they said, if you're too busy to meditate, you really need to meditate, yeah. even five minutes a day. So where do we start? Do we do it with guided meditations or just sitting and coming back to the breath quietly by ourselves for two minutes at a time to begin? You know, I think it's a tall order for a beginner to just be able to sit and try to meditate. Mm -hmm. So certainly guidance is helpful. And what's nice is there are a lot of CDs or videos on YouTube or especially now apps like Headspace and Calm. And that, Serenity. And Serenity. is great. Serenity. Yeah. That will give you that uh, beginning understanding of what the process is. But having said that, we don't want to rely solely on external guidance because ultimately meditation is the ability to self-regulate, to come back to center without any external um, guidance or stimulus. And so what I suggest is that people mix it up. They start with some guidance, but then maybe they try to do it by themselves. And one really helpful technique that I've used and recommend to others is to set a timer. Because if you're just sitting left to, without any time frame, then it's very easy for the mind to rationalize to get up and go check your email or go to the fridge or whatever <laughs> it might be. But if you have a timer, you know that, okay, there's a moment where it'll go off, then it might help you to get through those waves of restlessness and agitation where the beginner would otherwise quit. But it's actually in those moments of agitation and restlessness that you stand to gain the most benefit because <laughs> it will pass. And as soon as it passes, it'll be followed by a greater sense of ease and peace for having gone through that wave of uh, intensity. What happens when you were sitting for 10 days and you'd be sitting cross-legged, I would, I would uh, imagine, yes. and you had knee pain, which anyone, any human being would have knee pain sitting that long. Um, why do she start mm -hmm. after 12 minutes? But, <laughs> but you're sitting and you're sitting and the knee pain is there. How do you allow your mind to turn off and just continue following the breath and ignore the knee pain and continue sitting there? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, physical uh, obstacles, physical distractions are very common in our practice. And we learn to distinguish between what are actual pain and problems that we should address versus what are actually just waves from the mind, agitation that comes through the body and manifests as an uncomfortable sensation, but really isn't causing us any problems. Any, it won't cause us any long-term issues. And so what we learn as meditators is that everything is changing all the time, that nothing stays the same. Everything is in a flux and in a flow. And so if we can learn to observe it from a detached place rather than take it personally and say, this is my pain. Why is this happening to me? 
but instead see that, oh, there is pain arising, or even better, not even to label it and just say, okay, there's a sensation arising. But I know from experience that this sensation is bound by the law of impermanence to change. Then what happens is you don't generate any resistance around it. And that resistance tends to multiply it and make it worse. Mm-hmm. When we stop resisting it and we just give it space, then it'll just move through on its own. Does meditation lead to bliss, enlightenment, nirvana, dharma, all of these words that we use, this show is finding your bliss. When you truly are able to meditate, and I know you taught, say, do it in increments, five minutes, two minutes a day, five minutes a day, 10, ultimately 20. Can you achieve a state of enlightenment and bliss by meditating? Well, certainly if we look at historical uh, contexts, we see that meditation is something that's similar in all the different religious traditions. So having seen that, we see that it's the, it's a process that's universal through different uh, techniques and through different traditions. Um, what meditation does in my experience is it removes the obstacles to bliss. Mm-hmm. So bliss is our true state, but we don't nice. actually experience it because of the obstacles of the ego, the mind, the persona that we put on top of it. And so this lattice on top of our bliss that meditation strives to deconstruct. And as we slowly start to relax and chip away and get more comfortable at just simple being, then the experience of bliss starts to arise. So are you saying that we're basically all born blissful and we're just all these blissful little beings and you see that when you see a baby? And then unfortunately, all these layers get on top of by practicing asanas, the postures, and then by practicing meditation, we're removing all those layers that have taken away and stripped away the bliss. And we're coming back to that pure state of bliss. Yeah, I think one way they describe it is beginner's mind. Mm-hmm. We're coming back to our natural state. And uh, meditation is the, a wonderful technology for that. Because it's so simple, but because it's so simple, there are so many misconceptions that people have around, especially people first starting to try and meditate. Because when you first sit down, what you experience is just how busy your mind is. And so people tend to experience that and think that they're not good at it, that I can't meditate because I I can't slow down. I just keep thinking Mm -hmm. about this and that. Well, actually, that's the very first insight is to recognize just how busy the mind is and how difficult it is for it to slow down. In time, the mind will get tired. And so what I recommend to people is try to meditate for about 20 minutes. Because the first 15 minutes might be your mind going here and there and here and there, and the body having all kinds of different uh, sensations and reactions. But eventually the mind runs out of gas, and it slows down, and it may drop. And if it drops even for just a moment... You're there. You're, yeah, it's just You're such, on your a, way. such an experience. You're like, oh, it's such, I, I'm free for a moment. You know, <laughs> exactly. I don't have this burden. We're just about to go to another little break, but I just wanted to say that um, what is sheer bliss for you very briefly? What is sheer bliss for me? Yeah. Well, bliss to me is an experience that I most closely describe as electricity. I feel like it's something that's a charge through my body and it begins in the heart, in the center of the body. And because it's so intense, this is why it takes yoga and meditation to slowly begin to develop the capacity to handle this type of a charge and maintain it without trying to mute it in some way. Perfect. How can people get in touch with you, Josh Cohen? This is fantastic. We're going to be on for a full hour in the new year doing meditation, which will be great. How can people get in touch with you? The best way is through email is to send me an email at yoga with Josh 
at yahoo.ca. That's perfect. I want to thank all of my esteemed guests for being here today. Jody Fishstein, Mark Mora, Carolina Carvalho, Josh Cohn, and Lana Sugarman for all the good work that you all really do in making the world a better place. Also, a quick announcement in Finding Your Bliss News on Friday, December 13th, Sheridan College's Honors Bachelor of Music Theater Performance Program is celebrating the creativity of their students with a star-studded fundraiser aptly titled Creativity in Motion being held at the Sensational Buddies and Bad Time Theater in downtown Toronto. The evening will be filled with incredible performers such as Sharon Matthews, Stacey Kay, Stephen and Ben Page, and Kim Truong, as well as current students in Sheridan's Music Theater program. Silent auction items will be there, including ceramic and glassworks, theater merchandise, and so much more. And the big raffle draw of the night will include a pair of the hardest to get tickets in town to see Hamilton, the musical. For more information, please go to buddiesinbadtimes.com. We're going to lead into our closing meditation by listening to another beautiful track from Lana Sugarman's album, Reverence. And this track is called Gate. Thank you for that, Lana Sugarman. That's absolutely beautiful. And that's from her album, Reverence. We're going to end with a meditation as we always do. If you're driving, please pull over, turn off your ignition, recline back. And I would even say open the window, but it's a bit cold, so maybe not. During this breathing meditation, you will focus on your breath. This will calm your mind and relax your body. There is no right or wrong way to meditate. Whatever you experience during this breathing meditation is right for you. Don't try to make anything happen. Just observe. Begin by finding a comfortable position. Close your eyes and observe your breathing. Notice how your breath flows in and out. Make no effort to change your breathing in any way. Simply notice how your body breathes. Sit quietly and notice your breath flowing gently in and out of your body. And when your attention wanders as it will, just focus back again on the breath. Notice any thoughts, but don't dwell on them. Simply let the thoughts pass and see how your breath continues to flow deeply and calmly. Notice the stages of a complete breath from the in-breath to the pause that follows, the exhale, and the pause before taking another breath. Feel the air entering through your nose. Picture the breath flowing out through the nose and then down to your lungs. 
And as thoughts come, just come back to the breath. Now as you inhale, count silently. One. As you exhale, count. One. Wait for the next breath and count again. Inhale one through the nose. Exhale one. And see how calm and gentle your breathing is and how relaxed your body feels. Wiggle your fingers and toes. Open your eyes and remain sitting for a few moments longer. Slowly return to the room with a smile and continue with the rest of your day feeling re-energized. For all of us here at Finding Your Bliss, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.